On this episode of This Week in Linux, we've got a lot of news related to Linux Mobile, like UB ports, Ubuntu Touch OTA 12, a plethora of Pine64 news, and Mali Kit 1.1.0 is released. We'll also talk about the current beta release for KDE's Plasma 5.19, and we've got many more project releases like PyHole 5.0, Ubuntu Unity Remix 20.04, Zabbix 5.0, LTS, Coreboot 4.12, and we're also going to be talking about a very interesting revelation from Microsoft where they admitted the company was wrong about open source. And we'll finish out the show with the another great round of Humble Bundles. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. Also, DigitalOcean now has virtual private cloud options in all regions free of charge. This lets you create multiple private networks to isolate your workloads. Container Registry is also now available to all users as an early availability release. This allows you to easily store and manage private container images and push images seamlessly to DigitalOcean Kubernetes structure. DigitalOcean also has a new trust platform where you can find answers to common security and privacy questions and download available security certifications. Another thing about it is that they have new additions to their DigitalOcean marketplace. This is where you can install things very quickly through the app marketplace or more of a droplet marketplace. And in this, the new ones that I wanted to talk about are if you wanted a Zoom alternative, they now have an easy setup for Jitsi. There's also a Minecraft server marketplace item and Magento for people who want to do some e-commerce stuff. You can get all this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. But you can get started with any of the marketplace things I talked about and the other stuff mentioned previously just by going to do.co slash DLN and get two months for free with a $100 credit. Again, you can go to do.co slash DLN for that $100 credit that gives you access to DigitalOcean droplets for free for two months. And thanks again to DigitalOcean for sponsoring This Week in Linux. First in the show this week, Ubuntu Touch OTA 12 from the UB Ports team has been released. OTA 12 stands for Over the Air 12th Edition. And this is the the Linux mobile operating system that was originally created by Canonical, but has been picked up by they they decided to discontinue it. But it was picked up by the UB Ports team to continue on with the awesome experience that it is to have a Linux based operating system that is truly Linux and not just this weird Frankenstein monster that is Android. Technically, yes, Linux, but. Frankenstein monster. Anyway, so OTA 12 is the, actually the first version without using the Lomiri interface environment. If not aware, UB Ports renamed the Unity 8 interface to Lomiri recently, and we've discussed this on episode 95 of This Week in Linux, so if you'd like to learn more about this, check out episode 95 of This Week in Linux. But moving with to Lomiri, there are 
tons of improvements to the home screen, the dash, the, and various other user interface changes. I think it looks better and more modern uh, with this new structure. Along with Lumiri comes a much newer version of Mir, complete with working Wayland support. So a lot of great improvements, including they've improved the theme design and have also made some improvements to the keyboard. One of the keyboard improvements is with a new bottom swipe, bottom, you know, from the bottom swipe up gestures that let all the, the layouts use the editing overlay. So you just swipe up and it allows you to switch from keyboard to the editing overlay, which is very awesome. Also, there's a lot of various enhancements to its Morph web browser and various other device-specific improvements and a lot more. Uh, the kernel driver required for Anbox has been added to default kernels for the Nexus 5, OnePlus One, and the Fairphone 2, so users of these devices will no longer need to flash a different kernel in order to experiment with Anbox, which is awesome. And they are now using their own Google OAuth for authentication to enable Google Contacts and calendar syncing. So this is really great news. Huge update. I've been waiting for OTA 12 for a very long time, and I am a big fan of UB Ports and what they do. And in fact, we're going to be talking in an interview with Marius and Dalton from UB Ports on a future episode of Destination Linux, episode 175, which will be coming out not this week, but next week. So be sure to stick around for that, of course. Uh, if you haven't, be sure to go to the Destination Linux Network YouTube channel and subscribe there to be notified when that drops. Or you can go to destinationlinux.org for subscribing on the MP3 feed or whatever else you want to do. Uh, it's going to be really awesome to be able to talk to them about everything that's happening with OTA 12 and Lumiri, so I can't wait. But if you'd like to learn more about this particular release, I have a link to the release notes in the show notes below. Up next in the show, we have a plethora of Pine64 news. Now, if, you're, if you've never watched the show before, I am a big fan of Pine64. They do a lot of really cool stuff. They make uh, a really cool like system-on-a-chip competitors to like the Raspberry Pi and the Odroid and that kind of stuff, like the Rock Chip. And they also are making a lot of Linux-based products now with the Pinebook, the Pinebook Pro, the Pine Phones, and now the Pine Tab, as well as some others that they have announced. We're going to talk about all this stuff in, in, in this big update that they released this month. So let's just jump into it. So first of all, there is some shipping information that's available now for the people who are purchasing the Pinebook Pros with Manjaro, which is the latest kind of pre-order structure, or the batch, I guess. And those will be started shipping after May 22nd. UB Ports uh, Community Edition Pine Phones are going to be starting shipping after May 26th. And they're also, uh, as I said, they're using the UB Ports, so that kind of connects really well with the previous topic. But in addition to that, the Pine Tab which is starting this month for getting pre-orders. So you can now start to order it. They haven't said when it will ship, but you know they're doing the pre-order soon. And Pine is usually quick to you know do a turnaround, but especially considering this is a pilot production run, it's not like, well, they, when they first did their Pine phone, they did a Braveheart edition. This is not named anything, but it is a limited quantity pilot production run that's similar to a Braveheart edition, but not exactly. So it's not meant for everyone. It's meant for like enthusiasts and early adopters and people who want to try it out and that kind of thing. But it's be, it's it's farther than a prototype, but not at the you know full market production version kind of thing. So it's like in between those two. But this also runs UB ports Ubuntu Touch, so that's really cool. And you can get this in the pre-order with for and it's well this is the price regardless, but it's a one hundred dollar tablet or 99 point you know 99 dollars 99 cents but 100 dollars 
And it also comes with a backlit keyboard if you want. It's a magnetic attachment keyboard, and that's a $20 uh, add-on if you want to get that. Uh, so you could get the $100 uh, Pine Tab, which is a really cool product that they're making because I can't, like, the fact that there's not a, you know, a full Linux tablet has been something I've been, you know, wanting for a very long time. So I'm really happy to see that someone's doing it, and especially with it being Pine64 because they've made a lot of really cool stuff. And I have one. Of the, I have the original Pine book, and I'm going to be getting basically everything else. So I can't wait to try out the Pine tab. But in addition to the Pine tab having all this really cool stuff, it also has the ability to do use adapters for like you know having industry and individual based purposes. So there's for the industry people, there's something called L O R A and R T L dash S D R. I don't know what those are. But apparently they're for industries and not relevant to me. But what would be relevant to me is the individual user adapters for adding LTE to the tablet or adding SSD storage to the tablet, which is really awesome. And if that wasn't enough, there's even more news from Pine64 this month with the PinePhone multi-OS bootloader is coming. So many OSs are showing signs of maturing and someone in the community, uh, Dank12, he created a multi-boot menu and it's said to use the eMMC and SD card. So this is awesome. You can already do a multi-boot of like using the SD card or the onboard storage, but now you can essentially use multi-boot regardless of which one instead of that so it's it's kind of like a it's it's just kind of improving that making it a lot easier rather than having to take the sd card out and that kind of stuff this allows you to actually do it through a menu which is awesome uh there's also wireless charging coming to the pinephone via an add-on using the pogo pins in the back which is awesome and another thing that's going to be really cool is that well technically they haven't said they're going to be doing this they're just exploring the possibilities of doing it but they're probably going to do it. And it's a, a battery case for the Pine phone. So, it's, you know, have you ever seen some phones have like this additional thing? Well, not anymore, considering the batteries are not, you're not able to exchange them anymore, but like, or replace them. But some phones used to have the ability to install or use a case that has an extra uh, battery that makes it a much bigger battery, uh, but just using the case rather than having the phone have a big bulky thing the case itself is the battery so they're looking into or exploring the possibility of doing this with a like a 5000 milliamp hour battery for the pine phone using a battery case very cool you'll you will also be able to uh, purchase different cases based on various different projects so if you wanted to get like a project branded case You'll be able to buy that now once they have those ready. But so it's basically like fifteen dollars or so or something like that. I don't know. I don't remember exactly when it what it was, but it's roughly about fifteen dollars. And Pinebook Pro. Also, they said that you can they now announced that you can now watch Netflix on the Manjaro edition of the Pinebook Pro, which is fantastic. So uh, there's you know there's sometimes issues when you have a new product that comes out that you weren't aware of because you couldn't test literally every scenario of every use case and this is one of those things, but the Netflix is now working, which is great for a lot of people. But I think one of the most interesting things about this is that the Pinebook Pro is also going to be getting a dock. Well, this is essentially a USB dock that allows you to attach your Pinebook Pro to this device to extend its ports ability and its functionality. So the, the dock will go under the bottom of the Pinebook Pro chassis and it will have all the uh, ports facing towards the back of the laptop. And this docking station will offer three 
full-size full USB 3.0 ports, a gigabit Ethernet port, full-sized and micro SD card slots, as well as bo both digital video and VGA output. The dock will also be capable of delivering power to the Pinebook via the USB connection, and it itself will be powered using a USB-C PD cable. Uh, this is really interesting. They're also saying that they're working on the final design of the dock. They don't really know exactly what it's going to look like per, like ex right now, like exactly. But they say they hope to be able to show photos of what it will look like next month. So very, very cool. This is already a cool laptop. I never thought about like putting a dock to it, making it even better. But they did, so that is awesome. And they also say that you can purchase now in the Pine Store, you can purchase spare parts for the Pine, for the Pinebook Pro, like getting uh, replacement keyboards and that kind of thing if something happens or whatever, or if you just want to change the keyboard out from the UK to the US version or something like that. Very, very cool. And if that's not enough, we have even more news. Like, for example, the Pinebook Original, which is the one I have, this white one on the top of the stack, uh, that one is uh, the original Pinebook that was the first edition that they ever made. And they also are making an update to that so that it's getting like a facelift and also improving certain pieces. So they're improving the overall layout of the system. They're also going to be uh, doing some updates to uh, the design. So they're going to make it a, instead of the white uh, style, they're going to make a black chassis style, which is pretty interesting. There are some kind of things that are like a sort of a gotcha, but not really. And that is the uh, display is going to be lowered in order to make the cost not change because this price of this laptop was uh, $99 and they want to keep that price tag there. But because of all of the supply issues and everything, there's really it's not as easy to do that because this was a 1080p display. Although I'm not sure if it was a 1080p IPS or a 1080p TN display. I don't remember that part. Uh, but the new one's going to be a 760p uh, t IPS display. So... If this is a TN and that one's an IPS, the smaller resolution would still be a higher quality, but I'd have to check to make sure that's an I, that's whether that's a TN or IPS. I don't remember. But anyway, we're going to move on to the final product that they and they talked about in this update, and that is the Pine Time, which is a smartwatch. And this is really cool because the Pine Phone is a very affordable device uh, phone that is running true Linux and the fact that they have they are working on a smartwatch that is that is just crazy that's really awesome they're going to be doing a smartwatch and they also say that you can now sync with Selfish OS between the Pine phone and the Pine time as well as they're going to be porting that app to Ubuntu touch they say that this Selfish OS application will be ported to Ubuntu touch and in time maybe also other Linux mobile operating systems he says that he suspects that it, that while it may be possible to port this application to other Qt-based systems, such as KDE Neon, Manjaro, or even Nemo Mobile, they'll probably need something else for the system to use the GTK stuff like Fosh and GNOME front-ends and stuff like that. But in a recent tweet, uh, Lup Yuen Lee, I'm sorry, I probably said that wrong. In his tweet, he implied that he will be using GOTK3 to build GTK3 companion app for the Pine Time, so it is possible that there the entire like ecosystem would have support for the Pine Time using the like a sync with a Pine phone and even an Android phone if you wanted to do that. 
but it's really, really awesome that they're doing this kind of stuff because I've always been a fan of Pine 64 ever since I got the Pine book. And when I first saw the Pine book, I was like kind of skeptical, skeptical. And then I used it for the first time. I was like, nah, not that good. Then I took it on a trap on a trip and fell in love with it because it is such a great travel laptop that I'm a big fan of it. So all the other stuff that they're making, I can't wait to get my hands on everything. And yeah, I plan on getting my hands on everything. And if you'd like to learn more about this stuff, I'll have links in the show notes to see if you'd like to get your hands on everything. And yeah, I can't wait to get all this stuff. This is, uh, let's just move on before I just start, you know, drooling over it. (laughs) Up next in the show is some desktop environment news from KDE. So Plasma 5.19 beta is now ready for testing. So KDE Plasma 5.19, this is the first beta that's been released. And KDE describes the new beta as, in this release, we have prioritized making Plasma more consistent, correcting and unifying designs of widgets and desktop elements. They've also worked on giving you more control over your desktop by adding configuration options to the system settings and improved usability, making Plasma and its components easier to use and overall more pleasurable experience. I'm a big fan of KDE Plasma. This is actually what my desktop experience is every day. I prefer the KDE Plasma desktop. I'm not saying that you shouldn't use something else. If you want to, feel free. This is just my preference. I think Plasma is really cool. The defaults need a bit of work. I say this every time. I'm. It's a qualifier that I have to say every time because while I'm a big fan of KDE Plasma, the first time you install it on some distributions, not the best experience. Kubuntu is a fantastic experience because they fix a lot of the nonsense defaults. So that's a good example of one that you should try out because they have fixed a lot of the nonsense. Uh, also, Manjaro fixed a lot of the nonsense too. Uh, but there's also other distributions that have not fixed it and they use the vanilla which is not that great. But moving on, I'm still a fan of Plasma, and going on to the roadmap, uh, Plasma 5.19 is due to be released in June 9th, so we're going to talk about it a little bit more later on in terms of, like, in-depth on the June 9th. I said 19th, I think. Whatever. June 9th is what it's supposed to be released on. But before, you know, I move on, I wanted to talk about a few things that are going to be in this release. So the system monitor widgets have been rewritten from scratch, for greater functionality, versatility, and just to look better. They've also updated consoles, so consoles tabs now can be assigned colors, which is just a fun thing to be able to do because it's a very, I guess it's not really fun, it's more of a workflow productivity thing, but it's just, it's it's fun to see that them doing things that are very, you know, minimal subtle things that just enhance a little bit of the workflow. And KDE is known for doing that kind of thing. Uh, But Dolphin now also has new actions that to quickly move or copy selected files in one pane of a split view into the folder of another pane. So basically right now, if you're using uh, Dolphin or Plasma, you can just hit F3 and it will split your current file manager into two different panes so you can have one folder on one side another folder on this on the other side and they're making it easier to move files back and forth with new actions that is very cool also plasma vaults which is a feature for encrypting files in kde plasma can now use go crypt fs as an encryption backend which is very cool and they've also done something that is not that big of a deal it's actually something I, that shouldn't be very important at all, but it is. it actually is pretty important to me because it is just a nice polish effect that has been missing for a very long time that I've been wanting for years, and now it is here, and that is the ability 
to center items in your panels because the new panel spacers have the ability to center widgets. So instead of having to manually move the spacer to kind of center up the content, uh, what I wanted it to do is basically just fill up the spaces in between and then center every piece around it. And that is essentially what they're going to be doing now, which is great. And I look forward to trying that because it's been something I, it's a very subtle thing. It's not, a, not important. I get that, but we been wanting it for a while and I'm excited to see that it is now there. So, right, let's move on. <laughs> so the, the windows can now be dragged and dropped onto items in the activity switchers to easy, easily assign and quickly assign them to different activities. If you don't know what activities are, uh, they're kind of like workspaces, but they're a little bit different because you can kind of sort of save sessions a little bit in the activities. So you can switch and have applications running at any given time, or you can, uh, there's similar to works. If you'd like me to make a video explaining what they are, let me know in the comments below and I will make one that kind of like breaks it down exactly because they do seem very similar, but they also do have some, uh, some features that are a little bit extra. Also plasma now has a consistent design and header area in the system tray applets, as well as the notifications. And they also refresh the look of the media playback applet in the system tray. There's been a lot of other stuff too. And another thing that they did is improve the look of GTK three applications, which is one of the things that people, you know, talk about GTK versus cute. They'll say like, well, cute doesn't look good in GNOME, whereas GTK does look good in, in KDE plasma. Well, the reason is because the KDE team makes sure that the applications look good. Like they, actually take in consideration that people want it to be cohesive and look like they're all native things to each other regardless of toolkit. So they do that. Whereas other desktop environments don't do that and ignore cute. So that's why that happens. If you're wondering that ever, and if you weren't, well, now you have the information anyway, you're welcome. So also in addition, ocular now has zooming options that are farther in from the previous 1600%. Why would you want more than 1600%? I don't know, but now you can go up to 10,000% because reasons. But that is fantastic because it's over 9,000. Yep. I did that. <laughs> also, some other things that happened in this release or this uh, new version of KDE Plasma is that they've made some updates to the system settings. So they've changed, they've actually been like, they've overhauled the setting pages for default applications, online accounts, KWIN rules, background services, and global shortcuts, including making the global shortcuts a lot easier to search for different items because they do, they're doing a global search in that section now, which is fantastic because it was a little bit complicated for really no reason with the classification and like category structure they had. So I'm really happy to see the global approach. Uh, that's very awesome. And well, I'm not sure if that's officially said because they, in the notes don't necessarily say that, but based on the discussions I've had with developers who are working on that prior that they were, their goal was to get into 519. I need to test it myself in order to make sure that that is true, but I haven't done that yet. So I might be wrong. Hopefully I'm not because that is awesome, and I really want that feature to be there. So let's hope it is, fingers crossed. Anyway, they've also done some updates to the Info Center 
and they've done and in the info center they've added support to show the de details about your graphics hardware like your GPU and they've also done a lot of like redesigns to the look and feel of it so that it's more consistent with system settings they're just doing like a lot of improvements to the cohesiveness and all that stuff and instead of going in through everything else that has changed because there's a lot more stuff and when the actual release comes out on June 9th I will be going into it much depth but the last thing I'll talk about is that they have done a lot of improvements to uh, KWIN Window Manager, Discover, KSysGuard, which is the system monitor, and a bunch of other stuff. So if you'd like to learn more about the latest beta testing release for KDE Plasma, which is 5.19, I'll have a link in the show notes below to check that out. And also real quick, there were some issues that people had where... Uh, people wanting like if you're a, if you were a Kmail user or contact suite apps user and you had issues with Google services this would be a good release for you because they have fixed the Google re, uh, reauthorized access issue so that's all good now so just want to put that in there as well at the end just so you know in case you're experiencing that problem but anyway like I said we'll go in more in depth on in June because there's a lot more to go into and we have a lot more show to get to. So let's just get to it. So previously we talked about Linux mobile devices and Linux mobile projects. And we talked about the KDE Plasma and KDE Community. And now we're going to talk about where they kind of meet together. And that is Maui Kit 1.1.0. So Maui is a project that creates free and open source software that is incubated by the KDE community and developed by Nitrix. Nitrix also makes their own operating system, which is very cool because they have a really interesting uh, idea and workflow with app images, and they have a very customized Plasma experience too. So I want to check that out if you want to, but we're going to talk about Maui Kit in this particular thing because uh, Maui Kit is for developing cross-platform and convergent apps that are basically targeting Linux mobile devices, but also many other things, including being able to work on your desktop. So this is really, really cool uh, project. And also this is the first official stable release for Maui Kit. However, I do want to do a quick note because the word stable release does not necessarily mean what people think it means. It's not about stability, really. It's the, the term stable used in programming. I mean, maybe they use it for that, but that's not really what it's meant to be in programming. So it's actually kind of poorly decided upon as a standard to describe something that is not changing frequently, a.k.a. static. This term, static, should actually be used for the releases so you could be like static release because then there would be no confusion. But that's it's not really likely that's ever going to happen so i understand that but i just want to put that out there anyway because people see stable release and meet and think stability but that's not really what that term means so just there you go moving on so maui kit and maui apps have reached 1.1.0 bringing updates new features bug fixes and an improved cross-platform and convergent experience this is how they describe it on their blog post but they do actually warn that some apps might not be missing features or present some bugs and encourages users to open a ticket on their GitLab if they experience any issues. So what's new for the Maui Kit framework is that the framework has gained new controls and the previous ones have been cleaned up and improved. Same uh, for the backend utilities like the file management classes and templated models. They've also introduced some new components to the framework like Doodle, App Views, App View Loader, CSD Controls, settings dialogs, settings section shapes, and alt browser. 
I wanted to talk about mostly about Doodle because I think it's kind of fun to what it, what it does. It's essentially a component that sits on top of stuff that makes it possible to write quick notes over images or over other components. Really interesting approach to that. They also have uh, their own apps, essentially. Maui Project provides nine applications to cover the basic set of standard utilities, although the there's two of them that are not available in this release as far as like they're not, they weren't ready at the time, which is the document viewer and their video player. But they did have the rest of them that are uh, in, this for, in this release. So Maui Project says that some of the apps are in different states. Most of them are stable. Some of them are more feature rich and some others are in early stages. That's the reason for the difference, differentiation of between whether they're in this release or not. And in this release, there's actually a file manager called Index. Music player called, um, I don't know. It's V-V-A-V-E, so it's V-Vave, or, you know, like a weird spelling of Wave. I don't really know how you're supposed to pronounce that thing. I think that was the renamed version of the Babe music player, but I can't remember if that's actually true or not. But let's go with sure. Also, there's an image viewer called Pix, a text editor called Nota, and there's also a notes taker called Buho, Buho, I don't know. Uh, and a ter terminal emulator called Station, as well as a contacts manager called Contacts, which is reasonably named. Uh, it also serves as the dialer for the phones and the convergent mobile aspects of the Maui kit and the Maui project. So also, for just so you know, that for users, these are packaged for Linux uh, x64 and ARM, so you can have it on devices that are ARM-based as well as x86. Uh, so x64 is a part of x86. It's the 64-bit version of x86. We can go into that later if you want. Comments down below if you want a video about the different architecture descriptions and how they work and the differences and how, you know, the, actually the difference between different versions of ARM, in fact, because there's a lot of big differences in those. Uh, anyway, if, you want, if you're interested about that, comment below and let me know. So also these devices will have support for like Plasma Mobile, APKs for Android, and even Windows installers for the 64-bit version of Windows. Uh, this cycle also added support for macOS and iOS, though the 1.1.0 release, they don't provide any official packages for them. They just have support. So in the future, they're going to have packages for it as in, in that when that comes out. So this is really cool. If you've ever wanted to check out any of these applications, like these are kind of like to developer related project for people who want to make applications, but also there's a lot of cool stuff that they make. Uh, like the Vivave uh, music player is a pretty good player. I don't know how to say it, but I have used it and it is pretty cool. So if you'd like to check it out, I have a link to all this in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Pihole 5.0 has been released. Now, what is a Pihole? Well, Pihole is a network wide ad blocker. So instead of installing ad blockers on every device and every browser on every device, you can install Pi-hole once on your network and it will protect all of your devices because it works differently than browser-based ad blockers. It also, because of the way it works, it allows you to block ads in non-traditional places such as in games or on smart TVs. And by games like in-app in -app ads inside of games on your phone, that kind of thing. 
Uh, the Pi Hole software also has very low resources requirements, so you can put it on a Raspberry Pi Zero W. And though it is called a Pi Hole, it's not exclusive to the Raspberry Pi. You can actually run it on a variety of different Linux distributions, including installing it inside of a virtual machine or in a container, and a lot of other stuff you know that you could use. Uh, but the Pi Hole originally was for the Raspberry Pi, and that's why it's named Pi Hole. But it's so it's like a a black hole for ads, sort of. Anyway. Uh, but before we continue to talk about what's up, what's in latest and uh, available in the latest version of PyHole with the 5.0, I do want to give you a quick warning because this is what the PyHole team says. There are many fundamental changes between PyHole 4.x and 5.x. As such, this is a strictly a one-way operation. Once you move from 4.x to 5.0, there is no way to go back, so make a backup. So... I'd like to reiterate that thing. Make a backup. Actually make backups frequently for all of your devices, for everything that you need, you actually care about, because backups are important. And if you only have one backup, you don't have a backup. Because what if that backup goes bad? Don't. That's If one copy is no copies, two copies is one copy, three copies is actually having two copies, and essentially you want to have as many as you can that's within reason. Uh, so... We'll talk about this in a future video when I do my. I've been test. I've been like looking into the long-term storage aspects of uh, data retention and all that. I've been very heavily uh, researching this topic, so I plan on making a video about this in the future. If you have any questions or suggestions about long-term storage or whatever, if you want to, you know, contribute some uh, things to talk about in the video, please let me know in the comments below. I didn't really plan on talking about this in this this topic, but it came out, so it, I'm gonna keep it in there. So if you would, if you have any uh, ideas or suggestions about long-term storage, please uh, let me know in the comments below. Also, to move on to back to the pie hole, there's some new additions to the, this latest version. It has the ability to, the list storage has been migrated from individual files into a new Gravity database in the same directory to facilitate the following features. So it adds groups. So groups can be created and block lists. Uh, blacklist and whitelist can be applied to these groups. Blocklist, blacklist, and whitelist can all be individually enabled or disabled. The ability to add comments to remind you why something was blacklisted or whitelisted. So you can actually like make a note and it, and it even will let you like set up a custom note to remind you to whitelist and blacklist things. Pretty cool. And also they have done uh, added a deep uh, deep CNAME inspection, which allows for the ability to deeply analyze CNAME queries, which has been a broadly discussed feature request in the PyHole community. So that is awesome. This will allow PyHole to find whether any domain in the CNAME chain is known to be blocked, and if one is found, PyHole can now block the original query. Very cool. They also added uh, regex and wildcard support for the whitelist, custom host names from the web GUI through the local DNS records tab. This assigns host names to IP addresses similarly to what can be done in the Etsy slash hosts file using this uh, command line. And the mapping is stored in the Etsy slash pihole slash custom dot list file, along with some other changes from like previous pihole, like dash a records and stuff like that. So uh, there's also some improvements, not only just additions, they've been doing improvements and performance improvements and bug fixes and all that kind of stuff. But they've also improved the graphics on the dashboard, which I'm a as a designer, I'm a fan of that stuff. 
Uh, in addition, they've also done added some additional information for on why a domain was blocked on the query log page. This is very cool. For example, if a query was blocked by regex, clicking on that status block will take you to the black the block list entry that blocked it to tell you what happened and give you a, a log for that. Very cool. And also they've got a new improved debug log that shows you the block lists and groups in a tabular format, including comments and the enable disable status messages. Lots of great stuff. They've even improved the in, uh, efficiency of the memory use, so it can even run on like lower power stuff or require less resources, that kind of thing. Very cool. If you'd like to learn more about PyHole and the latest version of 5.0, I'll have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the housekeeping section. We only have a couple this week, but first of all, Destination Linux episode 173 has dropped and it has a one of our famous in-depth interviews. We actually have Dermika Reed and Dee Parler from the organization Women in Linux on that, sh- on that episode. So be sure to check that out. It was a fantastic interview and a lot of fun. So you definitely want to check it out. Also, there's episode 174 that is dropping this week and we discussed finding a job in IT and Linux related fields. We also cover some new Destination Linux picks. If you're not aware what that is, we have a a software spotlight and also tips and tricks section, and all of that is in the DL picks piece. So there's a lot of new stuff there you definitely need to check out. And we've also done something, well, I've done this piece, and that is we are adding new graphics to the show. I have customized the way it looks, and I'm basically increasing the production quality, and I just wanted to make it a little bit more fancy. So I'll have actually a, a preview in the show notes here if you'd like to check it out. Uh, but episode 174 dropping this week. Be sure to go to destinationlinux.network and go to the YouTube channel there, and you can subscribe to get updated when the new episode comes out. Or you can go to destinationlinux.org/slash-subscribe to find the other ways to subscribe. Whether you want to use your uh, MP3 feed or any of the mobile apps and whatnot, all the links are going to be down below. So check those out if you want to check out a great episode with new awesome graphics that I'm not biased at all about, but are fantastic. And if you'd like to help make this show possible, then consider becoming a patron of Tux Digital. By becoming a patron, you are directly helping me finance the creation of this show and all the other content on the channel. So there's actually going to be a lot more content coming soon. I'm going to be cranking that up exponentially. There's another video coming out this week specifically for Firefox container tabs, which on the Patreon and the sponsors, I did a poll asking what's the next video people want to see me make. And that was the highest chosen voted uh, topic. So we're going to be making that video this week. It'll be releasing sometime this week. I haven't decided a day yet, but this week for sure. And if you have never heard of Firefox container tabs, you're definitely going to want to check out this video because it's an awesome feature. And if you have heard of it, you're still going to want to check out the video because I'm going to show you how to make it even better and more awesome than it already is. So be sure to subscribe if you haven't already. And yes, but anyway, if you'd like to help me make this content, you can become a patron of Tux Digital and you get special rewards like joining me for the patrons chat streams. Also, we're going to do some patron gaming streams coming up soon and as well as getting early access to the videos that I make. So that Firefox container tabs video will be posted to the patrons before it is posted publicly. So if you want to check it out and get the early access to this content, 
you can become a patron and help not only help me make the content, but also get extra content and faster content if you like. And to the awesome 79 patrons of Tux Digital, I want to say thank you very, very, very much for helping me make this content. It is incredibly important to me to be able to make this content, and I appreciate it so much that you're helping me actually make it, make me, make it possible for me to even do it. It is just amazing, and I can't thank you enough. But as I said before in previous episodes, I will continue to try. Even if it's not possible to really thank you enough, I will keep trying to because that is important to me that you know how much I appreciate the help that you're making it possible for me to make all this content. So again, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's get to the rest of the show. Up next in the show is some fun news from Microsoft, and I know that's very unlikely for me to ever say that again, but in this case, Microsoft is admitting that it's wrong about open source, or at least it was wrong. So the current president of Microsoft, Brad Smith, acknowledges they were wrong in the past remarks related to open source. So Brad Smith has served as the president of Microsoft since 2015, and he held a virtual talk slash fireside chat with MIT SCAIL or CSAIL department and various te- technology topics were discussed in this chat. So this is a quote from Brad Smith. He says that Microsoft was on the wrong side of history when open source exploded at the beginning of the century. He also says that I can say that about me personally as well. The good news is that if life is long enough, you can learn that you need to change. Today, Microsoft is the single largest contributor to open source projects in the world when it comes to businesses. When we look at GitHub, we see it as the home of open source development, and we see our responsibility as its steward to make it a secure, productive home for developers. So basically, it's also a pitch for GitHub and you know promoting themselves as being you know so great and they do all this, all this awesome stuff. But on the underlying thing, they're basically admitting they were wrong about open source, which is great to finally see that them acknowledging that they were awful towards the community for a very long time, and maybe they have changed. I don't think so. Uh, well, they've definitely changed a little bit because the majority of the people who were awful during that period are no longer a part of the company, like Steve Ballmer and, and Bill, Bill Gates are no longer running the company, and that's why it's no longer anti-Linux and anti-open source because they were the people who were, you know, spearheading that stupid decision. So the, uh, like, in fact, Steve Ballmer called Linux a cancer. If you didn't know that, that's, that's what he did. And he even admitted in 2016 that he was wrong about calling Linux a cancer. So like, it's very, very nonsense that, uh, that they said this in the first place, but it's nice to see that the current people in charge of Microsoft are aware of how ridiculous those statements were and how important open source is to, well, just computing in general and software development and all that stuff. So, very cool. And also, it's really nice to see, this is a subtopic, not exactly related, but it does prove that there are Another example of how they were wrong is because Microsoft created the Microsoft Azure platform, and now Linux is more popular than Windows on Azure. So Linux is more popular on Microsoft's platform than Microsoft's own operating system, which is fantastic and a little bit hilarious. So Linux-based images comprise of 60% of Azure's marketplace images, and more than 50% of the VM cores run Linux on Azure. So... This is kind of funny. There's this quote that goes that's going around for years 
and it's very apt and it, it works perfectly for this particular topic. However, it's not actually a Gandhi top, a Gandhi quote, but people credit it to Gandhi all the time. But here's the quote, and it's uh, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, and then you win. And that's essentially what is happening right now because Linux is taking over in the cloud, even in Microsoft's own cloud, which is kind of funny. Well, not on cloud because that's a product. But you know what I mean. It doesn't matter. And of course, yes, I'm, there's still a, we're still working on the desktop challenge. That is still something that we're striving to overcome, which it will happen. Mark my words. I don't know when it will happen, but it will happen. And I will do my best to make it happen. However that's possible, I don't know, but I'll try. Anyway, it's really awesome that Microsoft is acknowledging that they're wrong and don't know what they're talking about, about open source anyway, and also that Linux is now dominating their own platform. So I like this news. Up next in the show is the latest release of Ubuntu Unity Remix 20.04. So this is a distribution that is using the Unity desktop environment. It's a remix of Ubuntu, similar to Ubuntu Mate and Kubuntu and Lubuntu and etc. And this is using the Unity desktop environment that was created by Canonical. It was also abandoned by Canonical in 2017, although not technically abandoned because they still technically maintain it for the 16.04 LTS version because that was using Unity and because they have the five-year uh, LTS support cycle for that version, that will still be maintained until 2021. So technically speaking, there is some development on it, but not really. And after 2021, I kind of expect it to be abandoned unless a project comes around and decides to pick it up and make it for other distributions. Hopefully that does happen because I think Unity is a fantastic desktop environment. Although that's specifically talking about Unity 7 because Unity 8 has already been forked and is maintained by UbiPorts. And that's the Lomiri project now. Lots of nuance here, but uh, Ubuntu Unity Remix is use a, a remix of Ubuntu using the Unity desktop environment, specifically Unity 7, not 8, so Unity 7, the original version that was made in 1604 or made it was supported in 1604 and uh, there's also other versions of if you want to try another operating system that uses uh, ubuntu and unity check out umix os we talked about in a previous episode and it's a it's a distribution that is created by tony george of tg tech and also the the developer of Timeshift, UKUU, and a lot of other stuff. So it's, you know, the, I would, I'd probably suggest checking that one out because it's been developed for longer, and this is a very, very new project. Uh, but also, I am kind of feel like, I'm not saying that this is sketchy at all, but it feels really odd that this download for this particular distribution is on Mediafire and Mega, and also Google Drive and stuff like that. Like, I would suggest putting it on SourceForge because that is like kind of expected as a download source. So maybe consider that. Uh, but right now it feels a little more sketchy because Mediafire is not known for being a place that legit content lives. I mean, it can be, sure, but it just has that weird feeling on it when I see Mediafire as a download link for an operating system. Just so you know, just putting it out there. But if you want to check it out, Ubuntu Unity Remix 2004 is now available, 
and it is based on the latest version, similar to Umix OS, uh, but I've not personally tried Unity Remix. I've just seen a lot of people talking about this kind of thing, so I think it's really cool that they're talking about it because it brings up the topic of Unity, and I think Unity is the best, one of the best desktop environments, if not the most polished desktop environment ever made for Linux, and it's a shame that it's not being maintained anymore, or, you know, really maintained. Uh, I guess it technically is maintained, but not developed. Uh, you know, terms in programming are a little bit annoying. Just saying. So, I think that Unity is a really good desktop environment, and I'm, I'm planning on making a video about why I think it's good, and why it's a shame that it's no longer there, and why I'm disappointing the community for giving them so much hate on it. Uh, but... Well, I'll save that for the video. If you would like to make for me to make that video, please let me know in the comments below. I'm going to make it either way, but I would like for you to let me know how many, you know, if you're interested in it so I can kind of gauge like the, how many people are interested in that kind of content. So for like future other videos and stuff like that, because I have a lot of things that are unpopular opinions, like the idea that unity is great. That's a pretty unpopular opinion and has been for years, and I've always liked it, even when back in the day, in like 2012, when uh, 12 before was around, that was my favorite DE back then, and it's a shame that it's gone now, but who knows what the future holds, and if you want to check out Ubuntu Unity Remix 2004, I'll have a link to it in the show notes for the community Ubuntu community forum post. I'll also have a link to Umix OS in the show notes below as well if you'd like to check that one out. So two different options for Unity on Ubuntu in a derivative or Remix style and whatnot. So links in the show notes below. Up next in the show is the latest release 5.0 LTS for Zabbix. Zabbix is a free and open source monitoring solution. They say that Zabbix 5.0 LTS release comes with significant improvements in usability, security, and integrity. And also, there's a bunch of additions, uh, improvements, and, imp and also new features and a variety of different things. So we're gonna we can't cover everything because this is a lot of stuff in this latest release because this is the LTS and there's a, it's a big chunk from the previous version. So I have a link in the show notes for the full details. But let's just talk about the highlights here because uh, in addition to existing official packages and appliances, Zabbix 5.0 now also caters to the following platforms: SUSE Linux Enterprise Server 15, Debian 10. Ubuntu 2004, Raspbian 10, macOS, RHEL 8, CentOS 8, MSI for Windows Agent, which is the Microsoft stuff. Uh, Zabbix has introduced a new set of out-of-the-box integrations with industry standard cloud providers. So these these industry standard things is like the biggest names in the cloud providing uh, cloud section. So for example, DigitalOcean, like we talk about, who sponsored this show. So that's awesome. Uh, also, AWS, Azure, Google Cloud Platform, Docker, IBM Cloud, uh, Red Hat Cloud, uh, IBM slash Red Hat Cloud, Oracle Cloud, and also many others. Like again, DigitalOcean. Not an ad specifically. This it just happens to be a thing. So throwing that out there. Also, support for uh, secret user macro macros are now available, which allows you to keep sensitive information like passwords and API tokens from being exposed to end users. Uh, faster creation of dashboards thanks to the ability to copy widgets. Uh, Built-in integrations with the ITSM systems and alerting systems. 
new and improved templates and plugins, support for blacklists and whitelists for metrics on agent side, and also there's the Zabbix UI has been improved, so it now supports monitoring and managing of millions of monitor devices, which is impressive. And tons of usability and automation improvements have been made as well in the latest Zabbix 5.0 LTS release. If you'd like to learn more about this, I'll have a link to the latest re release notes of 5.0 in the show notes below. Up next in the show is Coreboot 4.12 has been released. Coreboot is an open source extended firmware platform that delivers fast and secure boot experience on modern computers and embedded systems. So if you're not aware, that's essentially a way to replace the BIOS boot system with Coreboot. And uh, there's also a lot of other ones, but Coreboot is one of the bigger ones. So Coreboot 4.12 was released recently and it has seen a big increase in activity. So since 4.11, the, there's actually been 2,692 new commits by over 190 developers, and of these 190, 59 are new developers for the project, which is really cool to see. Uh, there's actually been a removal of 51 uh, boards from like they've been deprecated and they're or for like deduplication and that kind of stuff like variants and such. But also, in addition to that, they've actually added 49 boards to the platform. Uh, and they've have a significant change in the SMM store is this is now production ready. SMM store is a SM, SMM mediated driver to read from, write to, and erase a predefined region in flash. Unit testing of core boot is now possible in a more structured way with new build systems and adoption of the Simoka, Simaka framework. I don't know how you're supposed to say that one, but there you go. But uh, yeah, if you'd like to learn more about Coreboot 4.12, I have a link to it in the show notes below. Up next in the show is some more Humble Bundles. Last week, we talked about the Humble Bundle Bonanza that was happening, and there's even more this week. So there, the sum that we talked about last week are still available. We'll kind of briefly talk about some of that, but most we're going to talk about the new things, the new bundles that are out now this week. So first of all, Humble Indie Bundle 21. This is a game bundle, and this is based on the original Humble Bundles, which were indie-based games, and this is the 10 years anniversary of the first Humble Bundle, and this is now like specifically for indie related games. So Hotline Miami, Beat Cop, Dust Force DX, Moonlighter, Hypnospace Outlaw, and Starbound are all available in this particular bundle and run on Linux. There's also another games bundle called Humble Bandai Namco Bundle 4. I don't know if the Bandai part is correct. I probably butchered that, but it is what it is. There are multiple games that support Linux in this in some way. First of all, there's a native game, uh, Pac-Man 256, and, or 256. There's also two Platinum games that are for a ProtonDB Platinum. That's uh, .hack, the last recode. Also, Katamari Damacy, Damacy Reroll. Now, this is a game that when I first saw the name, I was like, I don't know what this is. But it, but I, I actually do remember what it was. A long time ago, there was this game called Katamari Demacy. I don't know how to say that part, but it's a weird like collection bundle game where you kind of start and just start like running over things and collect it and try to keep the ball rolling. As more you collect it, the more hard it is to control it and all this other stuff. So it's a pretty interesting game, and if you want to check it out, it does work on Linux via Platinum on Proton. Uh, there's also four games that are gold rating on, on Proton. One is called Enslaved Odyssey to the West, Get Even, 
Tales of Berseria, and Tekken 7, which is very cool because that's a big, you know, big brand game. And Tekken 7 is also not only gold on the Proton DB, it's also whitelisted by Valve to support. So if there is an issue where it doesn't work, they will make it work. So that's awesome. And also, there's a new bundle called the Learn You Some Python bundle. So it has ebooks like Automate the Boring Stuff with Python, and also Practical Programming for Total Beginners, Cracking Codes with Python, it's an introductory to building and breaking ciphers, Invent Your Own Computer Games with Python, uh, Python Crash Course, a hands-on uh, project-based introduction to programming with Python, and many more. There's actually 14 items in this bundle. If you'd like to check it out, links in the show notes below. Also, there's a humble learning game coding and development bundle. So on this, you can get on-demand project-based courses featuring video lessons, PDF notes, and full source code related to a variety of different things. There's 25 cor- courses in this bundle, and just we're going to list a couple, or not a couple, but a few. Uh, Godot Game Development for Beginners, Intro to RPG Development with Phaser, Unity 3D and 2D Projects, C++ Programming for Beginners, Learn Python Programming by Making a Game, and Complete Blender Course. So there's a lot more of that as well. Links in the show notes below, of course, affiliate links also. Uh, And also we have the rest of the other bundles that were available last week that are still available now, like the Definitive Guides to All Things Programming by O'Reilly. So there's like uh, Spark, Hadoop, JavaScript, CSS, SSH, and many, many more. There's uh, 15 Definitive Guides, so check that out in the show notes below for links for that. Also, there's Funds with Stems, uh, funds with STEM, uh, the science, technology, uh, in engineering, and mathematics. That's what that stands for. I had to think about that for a second. And uh, uh, you can get e-books, 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 e-books for everything STEM related. So there's the Everling, Everything STEM Handbook, Physics of Star Wars, Science Experiments, and 100 Things to See in the Night Sky. So the total of this book has 36 e-books. There's also some other games that I'm not going to list off everything, but there are is another there's another bundle another bundle we talked about last week that has it's like board games kind of thing and it has 11 games that support Linux and some either natively or some level of Proton. There's also a musics bundle where you can get uh, packs of like there's 15 music packs and over 300 different music tracks for uh, ambient music for video games, movies, and variety of different other things. And there's also a new comics bundle. The previous Walking Dead bundle is still available technically as this recording, but I don't know how long it's going to be. I think it's like less than a day. So if you watch this later on, it's not there. But what is there is Lock and Key, which is a really cool book. It's a very it's a fantasy like horror sci-fi sort of uh, comic book, and it's also a TV show on Netflix now because uh, and it's, it is completely based off the comic book. So if you want to like check it out and see the differences between the two, you can get a Hummel bundle for Lock and Key in the show notes below. So links to everything that we've talked about, all of them affiliate links. So if you're interested in any of these things, please use the links below and let me know if you did in the comments because I'm curious how many people like the game bundles versus the bundles for the programming or the music bundles and the comic bundles and that kind of thing. Let me know what you think in the comments below and if there are any of them the things that you are interested in and uh, also again reminder be sure to use those affiliate links right so thanks thanks for watching this episode of this week in linux if you like what i do on this show please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe 
If you'd like to support the Tux Digital channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, sponsors, and many others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to destinationlinux.network store. That's right, you can go to the DLN store to get the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt, as well as the other great items that are in the store, like some coffee mugs for Destination Linux Network, and also a This Week in Linux shirt, if you'd like to check that out too. Uh, we also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Humbundle, and many more by going to tuxdigital.com affiliates. And speaking of the Destination Linux network, I'm also on a podcast called Destination Linux, so you should check that out, especially episode 173 where we had Tamika and Dee from Women in Linux podcast and Women in Linux organization. We had a really awesome interview with them, so check that one out. And also the next episode that's coming out this week is episode 174, which has a lot of great content, and I introduced some new overlay designs and graphics for the OBS and the show just to increase the production quality just because I felt like doing it, I guess, really. But yeah, check out episode 174 when it drops this week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital and the Destination Linux Network. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux. And I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news. <laughs>